Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to uh, launch a new study. Uh, At your request, uh, starting this evening, we're going to set out and take up the book of Exodus. And be rest assured, my friends, as I have an idea of what I want to do and where I want to go, Um, I know by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to get into things that I cannot yet see, because this is what the Holy Spirit does, right? We are going to go through this all-time classic book, verse by verse, much like we did with the book of Genesis, much like we did with the book of Revelation and all of our scripture studies. And I will say this, I look at the grid and I see that those studies are study on the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, have been a widely popular. So I very much am looking forward to taking up another book. And this will really offer us an opportunity to re-engage the Word of God on many different levels. And, and by that I mean <laughs> there is layer after layer after layer. And this is why we go through Scripture verse by verse. And this is why we are going to go through the book of Exodus <laughs> verse by verse. But Before we launch into this study uh, from one verse to the next, I thought what we could do is is kind of do a a soft brushstroke by way of bird's eye view into what we are getting into. All right, now this evening I'm going to draw a little bit from Kenneth Baker's uh, Inside the Bible, as well as Peter Kreft's You Can Understand the Bible, a practical guide into each book of the Bible. I'm going to to get into these works, and as I do, I will because they offer nice overviews. Now, by way of place in the Bible, as many of us know, of course, the book of Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament, and the second book of the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch being the first five books in the Bible. The word Exodus, and we're going to really get into this throughout our study, it literally translates as departure, the departure of the Israelite people from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and then, of course, this period of 40 years, 40 years in the desert before they entered into Canaan or the promised land as we know it. Um, The book itself contains 40 chapters, and that'll be another piece we take up. What's the significance of the number 40? Uh, Certainly 40 years, 40 days, 40 nights is seen time and time again. And we're going to have the opportunity to take up all these things as we go through this study. Uh, What about Dayton Author? Now, The time of these events was roughly between 1290 B.C. to 1250 B.C. It's always a fascinating thing to me. It is so easy when we talk about Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of these Old Testament books to just associate them with myth, that they're the stuff of prehistory. And as, as Genesis chapters 1 to 11 is the history of the early world, and we don't have dates Um, For those chapters per se, really the rest of the Bible we do. In the case of the book of Exodus, we have 
this time frame from 1290 BC to 1250 BC. If we're going to take a consensus of the scholarship, the original draft of the book was probably written under King David in the 10th century, um, the final editing of the book taking place in the 6th century, probably during the exile in Babylon. So if we're going to put a date to that, roughly 550 BC, what are the major themes to this book? Well, certainly uh, the first major theme is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, also called Lord, through a series of miracles or, or mighty works, brings Israel out from slavery of Egypt. This really is one of the great themes. Now, the second major theme is the theophany or, or self-revelation of the Lord at Sinai, and of course, the making of the covenant with Israel. This is the heart or the essence of the book of Exodus. Now, what can we say in its summary form and in the form of exercising the main points of the book of Exodus um, beyond the, the, the general themes to the book of Exodus? Well, Exodus, my friends, takes up where Genesis left off. The Israelites, who are the inheritors of the promise to Abraham, are where but now in Egypt. They have greatly increased in number over a period of about 400 years. And a new king, or, or Pharaoh, if you will, is now in charge, and he reduces them to a state of what but oppressive slavery. Oppressive slavery. And in answer to their prayers for liberation, who does God raise up but Moses, son of a Levite family, but raised as an Egyptian by the Pharaoh's daughter? In defense of his people, he kills an Egyptian and then is forced to flee for his life to the east. And from there, the Lord God, Yahweh, reveals himself to Moses in the land of Midian, in the Sinai Peninsula. He orders him to return to Egypt and to ask the Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses complies, of course, with the help of his brother Aaron. It takes ten plagues or miracles to force Pharaoh to let them go. The tenth plague is the death of all the firstborn, human beings and animals in the kingdom. The Israelites are spared because of the blood of the Paschal Lamb. Every year, this miraculous event is celebrated on the feast of what but Passover. For the avenging angel passed over the dwellings of the Israelites where he saw traces of the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts. So Pharaoh lets them go. So his people are joyful to see them go that they load them down with gifts of gold and silver. And where did the Israelites head but to the Red Sea? Having changed his mind about releasing them, Pharaoh decides to pursue them with his army. And here is where the Lord performs for many the greatest miracle in all of sacred scripture, the miracle at the Red Sea, where he parts the waters so that the Israelites led by Moses, can cross over to the other side on dry land with a wall of water to the right and to the left. Pharaoh's army goes after them, and when all the Israelites have safely arrived on the other side, Moses lifts his rod and commands the sea to return to its natural state, and as it does, so do the Egyptians perish in the sea. It takes the people about two months to get to Mount Sinai. There God appears to Moses 
and gives him the Ten Commandments and the more detailed laws for governing uh, the community. This is what we know as the Book of the Covenant. The Book of the Covenant. And again, we're going to really get inside of all of these uh, fun details, these details as we speak to them, these great miracles and what actually happened. There's a lot to say there. So God gives Moses these Ten Commandments, and then the people ratify or accept the covenant. That is, they agree to live by its laws or requirements. And in chapters 25 to 31, what we have there is these detailed instructions on the building of the sanctuary that they will carry with them in the wilderness for why they are now a nomadic people now, huh? And while Moses is spending 40 days on top of Mount Sinai, in communion with the Lord, the people become impatient, right? And what happens from there? Well, they force Aaron to make a golden calf, which they then worship. And what took place at the bottom of Mount Sinai, my friends, is, of course, a serious violation of the first commandment. When Moses comes down from the mountain and discovers what is going on in his anger, he breaks the two stone tablets that contain the writing of the Ten Commandments. He destroys the golden calf and he rebukes the people. And then he ascends the mountain, asking pardon for the people. Remember, Moses is chief mediator, right? God forgives them and gives him the commandments again. And when he descends the second time, the people renew the covenant and agree to live by its terms. From now on, Yahweh is their God, for he is the only God, and they are his people. Chapters 35 to 40 are really a repetition of chapters 25 to 31, this time describing in more detail the building of the sanctuary and its contents and the vestments of the priests. There are some pretty uh, important verses there that I look forward to engage as well. All right. What about the theology of the book of Exodus? Well, the book of Exodus is really the heart and soul of the whole Old Testament. In fact, testament is just another word for covenant that the Lord made with Moses and Israel on Mount Sinai. You've heard me talk about this before, these two words. When our Lord says in Luke twenty-two nineteen, and, and St. Paul records in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, the words, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Some translations give us testament. Why? Well, the distinction appears only in Western translations, which have been influenced by the old Latin Vulgate, seeking an equivalent to the Hebrew bereath and Greek diatheke, these words that translate covenant. Latin speakers found nothing exact and settled on the word testamentum, a word that that best translates as covenant bequests. Hence, not Old Covenant and New Covenant, but as we know it today, Old Testament and New Testament. So again, testament is another word for covenant once we understand what a covenant is. A testimony. Right? We talk about uh, a covenant as a compact agreement. This is yours and this is mine. Well, in the light of Revelation, 
covenant is not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. And this is an exchange of what but persons? Love. What is God testifying on behalf of? His love. The Old Testament and the New Testament, in the light of what covenant means, speaks directly to God testifying on behalf of what but his own salvific love. Now, the two themes of liberation and covenant, as Father Kenneth Baker reminds us, reverberates in one way or another through all the books of the Old Testament. We see them present in the books of the New Testament as well. Many of the Psalms sing praise to the Lord for his deliverance of Israel. His covenant is mentioned time and time and time again. Over 300 occasions do we have the language of covenant in sacred scripture. Now, in the book of Exodus, another major theological point would be to highlight, again, what I've already mentioned, the theophany of God, God revealing himself to Moses. Moses asks who he is, and he says, I am, or he who is. So the God of Israel is the source of all being. The God of Israel is the source of all creation. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And by his almighty power, he liberates his people from the bondage of Egypt. This is what the author of the book of Exodus wants us to see. huh? Later, this liberation becomes a symbol or type of liberation Uh, from sin by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to speak to that in greater detail here in a bit. What's more, as we speak of covenant, as we speak of testimony, inside of that, the idea of promise and election also run through the book of Exodus. We recall God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus, the promise is partially fulfilled in the formation of the people of Israel. The second part will be uh, fulfilled when they cross over the Jordan River and occupy the land of Canaan, which, of course, again, is the promised land. Election is found in the fact that God freely chooses Israel as his people. He does not choose them for a special role in the history of mankind because of any merit on their part. My friends, it is pure gift. For the same reason that we might speak of grace in the New Testament and in our own life. There isn't anything that we have done that merits this gift we have received from God. It is by his sheer gratuity, his his sheer giftedness that he gives us this gift. Hmm? And something else here, and this is another point that Father Baker makes, note that the initiative in everything that takes place in the book of Exodus comes from God alone, not from Moses or the people. They are favored, but let's be honest, they are a bit reluctant to accept God's favor. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Right? We use the phrase God's favor. What does the word beatitude mean? It comes from the Greek makarios that literally translates to be in favorable standing with God. Moses and and the chosen people were blessed. Were blessed. All right. To talk about covenant is to also talk about the law. The law. What is the heart of the law? Well, the very heart of it is love. 
The, the giving of the law in the book of Exodus is as important as the Exodus itself, really. Huh? The law is the center of Judaism. Now, we can distinguish four different levels or areas of the law. Uh, here, I'm drawing from uh, Peter Kreft. <laughs> he uses the image of the onion. You know, the law is like an onion. Strip away the outer layers, and what do you find but the inner layer? So you have these four layers to the law. The first is what? Well, most publicly and externally, civil laws. The civil laws that regulated public social life. Second, there are detailed liturgical laws or ceremonial laws regulating worship. Both of these levels of the law are specified in the book of Leviticus, which of course is the next book. Third, the moral law, the Ten Commandments given in Exodus, is a far deeper level of the law. What do we mean to say that it is a deeper level of the law? Well, unlike the very specific Jewish civil and ceremonial laws, such as what makes a food kosher and how to tithe, the commandments are for all people, all societies, and all of history. Thus, though Christians are in no way bound by the Jewish ceremony or civil laws, we are still under the Ten Commandments in one way or another. We are under them in that they express God's changeless demands for all of us, God's blueprint, God's idea for human living. My dear friends, let me make this point. Truth, as it is revealed, so objective truth, is never subject to time. Truth itself, what is absolute, is never subject to time. What God commands, he commands for all time. Hmm? So he gives us this blueprint, God's idea for human living. We are freed from the curse of the law by Christ's atoning death. That is, we are freed from God's eternal punishment for our disobedience. And as we are, we are mindful still all the while of the significance of the Ten Commandments. And so as we are freed, gradually, from our impotence to obey it, from our slavery to sin, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, we begin to see as we ought to see. In other words, the Son justifies us and the Spirit sanctifies us. These are two new relationships to the law. What about the fourth piece, the deepest aspect of the law? Well, again, that is love. My dear friends, Christianity did not invent the idea that love is the fulfillment of the law. Christ's law of love is not new. Rather, we could say it is quite old. You see, my friends, Christ fulfills what is already the heart of Judaism. For we think of the law only as an abstract formula, a verbal command. How can you love that, we ask? Furthermore, any law necessarily threatens us with punishment for disobedience, so we naturally fear it rather than love it. So the question that begs to be asked then is, how can the law be loved? Well, the answer quite simply is that the law expresses God's will and is thus the glue that really binds us to God in that God himself is love. 
It is God we love by way of the law. For the same reason that I, as a parent, lay down my laws to better raise my children to the degree that my children are obedient to those laws, is a way to love who I am as they respect and honor what I have established as right from wrong. So, you know, we could say the good Jew, like, like the good Christian, sees behind the law to the lawgiver, whose will is perfect love. Since God gave the law out of love, we can obey it and desire to obey it out of love. What is our point here? To say that the deepest aspect of law is love is to say that law and love are not enemies, but allies at the service of one another. And we hit the pause button and talk about this because, quite simply, my friends, you and I both know that there is the proclivity, the, the tendency to put the two at opposite ends of the spectrum because of how we think about the law today. All right, as we wrap up our bird's eye view take of the book of Exodus to really begin our reflection and commentary into uh, the book next week with verse 1, I did want to offer up a brief uh, snapshot into how Moses is arguably the most complete prefigurement of Christ. What do we read in the road to Emmaus? Christ talking about himself as a new Moses. Why would he do that? What's going on there? Well, Exodus centers on the person of Moses, the greatest of all Jewish prophets, the man who spoke with God face to face, and what does Scripture say? And lived. Moses is as prominent and primary in Judaism as Muhammad is in Islam. Yet his deepest significance, quite frankly, lies beyond Judaism because he points to Christ. He symbolizes and foreshadows Christ. What do we mean? Well, consider in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, we see Moses as an outsider. Jesus in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus is an outsider. In the book of Exodus and the Gospel of Luke, both received long training before their public ministry. Both performed many miracles. Both were preserved from an evil king's plot to murder them as babies. Right? <laughs> both stood up against masters of evil. Both fasted for 40 days. We we read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, that Moses fasted for 40 days, and of course, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Both controlled the sea. Yes, Moses parted the waters, but what about Jesus in the boat? When Peter cries out, Master, Master, the great tempest winds. And what does Jesus say? Peace, be still. Both feed a multitude of people. Both showed the light of God's glory on their face. Both endured rebellion from their people. Both were scorned at home. If you were to go into Numbers uh, chapter 21, verse 1, we see Moses being scorned and, of course, Jesus time and time again. Both saved their people by what? Intercessory prayer. We just spent, oh, 
a very long time talking about intercessory prayer. Both spoke as God's mouthpiece. Prophet literally translates as mouthpiece, right? Both had 70 helpers in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 to 17. Moses has 70 helpers, if you will. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, 70 follow Christ. Both gave a law from a mountain. Both established memorials. Both reappeared after death. Both worked as prophet, priest, and king. Both conquered the world, the flesh, and the devil. And finally, my dear friends, both brought their people from slavery to freedom and into the promised land. Oh, Jesus had a whole lot to talk about on the road to Emmaus as he revealed to those who he was speaking to that he is the fulfillment to the law of Moses and to Moses himself. He had a lot to talk about, my friends. So here we are, ready to begin our study on the book of Exodus. And you might ask, as I have been asked on numerous occasions, why verse by verse? Well, I don't want to miss anything. The Word of God is the inspired Word of God. That means every verse is inspired by God. And I would hate to miss an insight to be gained by virtue of what has been inspired by God. And so this is our task, to pray and to meditate with the inspired Word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift of the book of Exodus, this book that is before us to to meditate upon, to contemplate, that we might be enriched in our own relationship with you. We pray these things in your most holy and precious name. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.